and welcome to Tea Time Theology. I'm Ivy Swinski, and today's guest is the Reverend Scott Lee, and we will be talking about love. So our topic today is what does love mean and what does it mean in the world we currently live in? So if you want to start with your Bible quote. All right. We'll, well thank you goes. very much for inviting me to be here and speak about love. The process I went through in picking this was long. Um, there's a lot of scriptures that talk about love. And what I've decided is a lot of those scriptures have been corrupted by the church to say something they were not meant to say. After racking my brain, I just went back to the most basic of all because it's the least tainted by our traditions. And it just says from 1 Corinthians, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. Very straightforward. Yeah. And it seems like that's a, a bridge point between the world that we live in because every human being knows the essence of what love is. They know what feels good and right and true, and that is love. And then so many of the other scriptures that talk about love have a very corrupted, problematic issues. They exclude certain people. They give preference to others, and ultimately they create dependency on the church create dependency on a power structure which is against the very essence of love that is not the bible quote i thought you were gonna bring oh do tell i had assumed wrongly apparently that you would bring in the um love one another as i have loved you because that is the one that just comes to my head so quickly when you think about love especially in the church and that sort of idea of like Jesus's love being overarching over everything. Um, I'm excited you didn't bring that in because first of all, it's more fun for me, 
Um, <laughs> but that's amazing. I'm just um, keeping you on your toes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I brought in a secular quote. Perfect. And as someone who loves Schitt's Creek, the TV show, um, I brought in Simply the Best by Tina Turner, which also is amazing without Schitt's Creek. And the specific lyric that I chose was, um, you're simply the best, better than all the rest, better than anyone, anyone I ever met. I'm stuck on your heart. I hang on every word you say. And I love that idea of I'm stuck on your heart. Hmm. Um, my grandmother always used to say that you have to love everyone. You don't have to like anyone. Um, and I think that is a really interesting idea when we think about love, that what does it mean to love people unconditionally? Mm -hmm. And to take out this idea that we've sort of created in the modern world, that love is equal to liking. Mm -hmm. um, because you don't. There are people in your life that you love unconditionally, but if you had to sit in a room with them for over two hours, you would murder them by the end of it. And what or does at least that, want to. <laughs> or at least want to. And what does that really mean to have this sort of love that you are talking about with Corinthians? Mm -hmm. Which is so exciting. Well, in the verse you chose, love one another as I have loved you. That's one that I think has been corrupted. Really? And the reason I say that, uh, now, you, you have the luxury of growing up in the Episcopal Church. Yes. Okay, I've been exposed to other denominations, and there's always a, let me tell you how Christ loved you, and this is how you are to act in my church. Mm. And I find that goes against the message that Christ was actually speaking about. Whereas this... This is something, 1 Corinthians, that can be read in church and everyone goes, aha. Or it can be read at a wedding or a funeral. Or I meet you, we have that spark of a romance and affection. And we say this because there's something we know inside of us, deep in our bones, that this is true. And it's not as corrupted. So that's why I chose it. No, I, I love that. And you're right, I do have sort of a skewed view because I am a cradle New England Episcopalian <laughs> which definitely brings a sort of different viewpoint to right. what I grasp at and what does love mean to me right so why do we need love why is that something that is important to us as people because I feel like a lot of what we choose and how we live our lives is defined by and guided by this idea of love. And again, I think it touches on something that we know to be true in a way we can't describe. And marketing and other people will use the word love to describe this car you really should buy or this blouse that would look fantastic on you. Um, and so, again, love gets so misused and, um, and abused that it's hard to boil down the essence. And I think the essence is lost largely because we equate love with sex. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the corruption. Now, that's not to say that love can't or sex can't be part of love, but we have linked the two together in a way that they shouldn't be. And so you ask, what is love? It's hard because we have to sift through all these layers that other people have placed on it mm -hmm. to get down to the essence of it. Um, 
And I think romantic love is the thing that most of us connect to most easily. Um, we, we, we watch movies, even PG rated ones, and we're like, that's true, and I want that. Um, we can see good friendships, we can see great parents, and we can know there's something deeper there than just, it suits my needs to be in a relationship with you. And I think that's what love is. Uh, guides us to that deeper level. That's amazing. And it brings me, it reminds me of um, how the Greek had six different types of love. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting we've kind of moved away from that in modern culture. But I think now it's starting to come back mm-hmm. that idea of like found families and um, like your tribe and all of those weird ways of putting it. Mm-hmm. But that sort of idea that love isn't justified between two people and that there is a holiness in any type of love that people share exactly exactly and and i think we're more interconnected in this world than we like to admit we isolate ourselves a lot and love is that bond that does bridge us together a little bit i did find it interesting that you chose tina turner Uh, the reason i find it interesting is because in that song you chose better than the rest she had seen bad love yeah she'd been in an abusive relationship for years and years and years and so she knows what bad love is and part of what we're talking about here is so how can we recognize good love and what the essence of true love is and what really matters she knew what was bad and so when she got a taste of something good, she could sing joyous about it. Uh, and I think that's part of what each of us need to wrestle with is we look around and can see a lot of bad love. And, and the role that the church has when it's not trying to abuse love for its own purposes is the church can speak to us and say, this is what good love looks like. As opposed to what the world tells us, good love is acceptable. Um, or acceptable love is good it's probably the way the world would speak to it Um, a little bit of sex some hardship whatever that's love but love can be so much more and that's the call for us and that's the conversation we're having now so you had more questions (laughs) yes I did how do we show love in our lives if we're as you said, moving away from that idea of just sex equals love, right. but how in everyday life do we show the love we have for people? And um, I always think of there's that hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. Um, and as you said, it's been kind of co-opted with different messages. But how do we get back to the original message? And there's like four questions in that. So right. like take it as yeah. you go. So what? So the ones I don't answer, ask again. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the first question is how, how do we get back to the essence of love? Um, I love living in Rhode Island. Let me start with that. We are the most tolerant people I have ever met. A person can pull out and block four lanes of traffic. (laughs) No one honks. No one complains. We tolerate a lot, but that doesn't mean we love them. Mm -hmm. 
It means we're content to be bothered uh, by this person's existence. That's not love. Mm -hmm. uh, love is waiting for our turn. Love is not only just tolerating you, but seeing you and appreciating your existence. And love also calls us to get to know on a deeper level than just you're the guy who cut me off. We don't ask those real questions. We don't want to know what's really going on in a person's mind or heart or in the essence of their being. We don't want to know the, the agony they have of suffering over the death of a loved one. We don't want to deal with the real stuff that's going on because we're afraid to really love. Because to really love makes us vulnerable to be hurt. Tina Turner knew hurt. Mm -hmm. She was vulnerable. She was abused. But that wasn't the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And she got out of the bad relationship and was able to enjoy a better experience with love. Again, that goes back to romantic. And I think as far as just the society we live in, we would do well to take time to notice a person. In the South, we would hold the door open for someone. That was both a sign of respect, but it also was, I recognize that you exist, mm -hmm. and I care enough about you to share this space with you. It's a subtle thing, but I think we need to do those subtle things. Uh, and I think, I think those subtle things are how we live out that song, that they'll know we are Christians by our love, because they will see us treating one another in a kind and courteous and respectful way. I don't have to agree with you politically. I don't have to agree with you ideologically. I don't have to agree with you on anything. I don't even have to like you, to your point earlier. Mm -hmm. I can still respect you as a human being. We can exist side by side in this world for as long as we're here and make the best of it. And that, I think, is something that people forget. Um, because I know, like, me personally, a lot of my friends and I will, if you saw us interacting together, you would think that we hate each other because we both go to that, like, mean comedy jabs. But there is that, like, deep love with each other, and there is something terrifying of letting yourself be vulnerable to another person which is so true. And I do think there is a New England mindset that because we are so tolerant of everything, that we are like, I don't want to say are better because I don't actually think that's what it is, but that tolerance equals understanding and that's not it tolerance means i'll live my life out in this house in this neighborhood and you do what you want over there but don't come to my neighborhood and i won't come to yours which is not what that idea of unconditional love is right it was in austin when i was in seminary and I saw a lot of bumper stickers that said coexist, and it had the different signs of different mm -hmm. religions. And then I saw one, and it spelled out compassion instead of coexist. And what I experienced in New England is there's a coexist mentality. You're fine, think what you think, do what you want. I'm gonna think what I think, I'm gonna do what I want. 
But compassion takes us to a different level. It means I begin to ask you questions about what you really believe, and I'm vulnerable enough to listen, internalize, not completely change my opinion, but I care for you enough, I'll go so far as to say I love you enough to engage you for the things that are important to you. It may or may or may not change my opinion, but at the end of the day, I know you, I respect you, I care for you, and I show love for you. And so I think compassion is the gateway to love. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely. And you brought up that idea of respect and how that also connects with love. Can you talk a little more on that? Respect. Well, that's probably my big issue with the way the church has abused love in the past. It's used it as a, you need me, so you should do what I say. You should put extra money in the offering. It's not respectful. The church has not been respectful to the people that the church was called to serve. It's a hierarchy. And respect is not a hierarchy. Respect is an equality. We live in a land that pretends to be equal. And compassion moves us to actually be equal with another person. Um, to realize that I'm no better and no worse. That really we're the same. And we have this moment on this planet, and I don't know how long it's going to be. Could be years, could be minutes. What are we going to do with it? Are we going to grasp for power? Or are we going to understand one another and share love through respect? I didn't exactly answer your question. But okay. that's where my mind went. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good thought anyways. We'll move past it. Okay. Um, so I read a book once that called the Bible the greatest love story ever told. And that is also the name of this episode. Yes. So what do you think of that? Do you think that's accurate? Do you think it's not? It, it's funny you, you say that. When I was in college, I was in the Wesley Foundation, which is the Methodist campus ministry at Texas Tech University. And the Wesley would travel to small rural churches near the town of Lubbock. And we would go to encourage their youth groups. Most of these small churches couldn't afford a youth director. And so they would invite college students to come in. We'd play some games and we'd share our thoughts on something that week. And a good friend of mine, Shay, reached over and picked up the Bible in a lull in a conversation. And he asked the question, what is this? And he just waited. And there was a couple of people that said, oh, that's the rules for living. There's other people that said, that's the history of God's people. And he listened. And none of those are particularly wrong. But he said, I believe this is the greatest love story ever told. And I remember him saying, this is the story about a God who creates human beings out of love. And when they messed up, reached into the pit of despair and pulled them. Why? Because of love. Placed them in a wonderful land. And when they got themselves into trouble again, rescued them again. And then ultimately sent or came as himself 
in his son in that weird way that we try to articulate but can't out of love to show us love so that for all of eternity we can be in the presence of love in heaven. I don't know how you define the greatest love story ever, but when it begins in creation and ends never, that's what eternity is, I would say that's the greatest love story ever told. Yes, definitely. And you're it's so interesting to think of Jesus as the embodiment of love because I don't think that's really how people think of him because um, you hear the stories and you're like oh he's a 30 year old guy and like what does that mean but to think of someone that lived their life so rooted in this idea of caring for everyone around them and like that is the root of the story pretty much and yeah there's like other stuff that happened it's a pretty long book but (laughs) if you think of the main theme or the main root of it being this uh, overarching idea of unconditional love and that being the driving force Mm -hmm it does sort of give you a different lens especially there's some like weird stuff that happens which is just like accurate but to think of it that every motivation is love how does that fundamentally change the reading and i think that's a good question because Each of us has a key that we use to unlock the scripture. And depending on what that key is, determines what we'll find. If I believe that the key is God's a big meanie and he's ready to smite us anytime we do something wrong, then I'm going to unlock the Bible using that key and that is what I'm going to find. If the key is love, then it does change the way we read the entire book. And I think that's what Jesus came to do, was to give us the key of love, to unlock the mystery of life and unlock the mystery of the universe. And if you look, the only people Jesus criticized were the stuffy church leaders who thought that God was only for them. (laughs) That's part of the key I use. And that's part of the reason I started with a not so subtle criticism of the church (laughs) over time, because We are, in many cases, the stuffy church leaders today that Jesus would criticize. Instead, the people Jesus welcomed were the normal people. It was, and oftentimes, the people who were excluded from the community of faith. They could be women, they could be men, they could be rich, they could be poor. Every ethnicity, anyone who approached Jesus was met with love and respect and kindness and a giving. That's our mission, is to engage everyone with respect, regardless of whether they're wealthy or poor, regardless of their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, whatever it is. If they reach out, we, the followers of this Jesus, are to respond with the same loving action. And there is a sense that we need to be somewhat critical of ourselves when we become those stuffy church leaders that forget our purpose for being here. 
which is to love one another as Christ loved us, to use the verse you dropped in on us. Yes, yes. Do you think there is a difference in the love you receive just by reading the Bible versus the love you receive by going to church every Sunday? Very interesting question. Good question. Thanks for asking it. It's interesting. There are people who believe that you can worship God and experience the fullness of who God is on your own, on a hiking trail, on a ski mountain, getting a massage, in your own room, in your own bed, on a golf course. And I don't disagree. Um, There are people that say you experience love best by being in a community of faith. I would say that depends on the community of faith, (laughs) just to be blunt. But I do think there is wisdom in pairing all of that. In the Anglican tradition, we're not either or people. We're not, you either go to church or you don't. You either worship God on the golf course or you don't. We can be a both and. Is it possible that communing on a golf course with friends is a holy time? Certainly. It's a holy place, right? Mm -hmm. It's a golf course. Holes, 18 of them. (laughs) The dad jokes. The dad jokes. They keep coming. But, and I think that it is true, just reading scripture leads us towards love. It is true that being in a community of faith leads us towards love. It is true that reaching out our hands to receive Holy Communion is to reach out to love. And so it's not that one of those is best, But when they're all together, that's when we understand the fullness of love that I think God intended. So, sure, come to church. Sure, read your Bible. Sure, hike in the woods. All of those ways are for us to experience the love that's all around us. And there are also ways to stop living in isolation, which we do a lot. I think we do a lot better when we reach out with compassion to understand other people. I think we, we reach out in the environment and see the environment and the love that's all around us. And then we take that knowledge, that understanding, and experience it in church with sacrament and word. I think that's what brings us to the point where we can be most Christ-like and be the most loving person that we can be. Is there... A moment in your life where you were like this this is it this is that idea of love that we all are striving for and you can say no I, I think every one of us has had a taste I can't point to one moment and say that was it I know when my mom would come up as a teenager <clears throat> and she'd just scratch my head while I was watching TV She didn't have to, but that was love. Uh, Certainly my wife, uh, she loves me even when I'm a jerk. Tolerates, it's more than tolerance. It's, I respect you even though you're being a blumbling idiot. (laughs) Um, But she also loves me enough to say, guess what? You're being a blundering idiot. I've watched people, homeless people at Church Beyond the Walls, treat each other with respect and love um, that we don't treat each other in church with. We were in uh, Hungary 
I was on a mission trip in 1992. It was shortly after the wall fell. We were some of the first Christians that went back into uh, into Hungary, and we just set up shop in a um, in a bus station where a train station bus station met, and we just played songs in English because we can't speak Hungarian, um, and we did some skits, some very rudimentary uh, "God reaches out to us in love" kind of skits, and it was amazing how many people were stayed and watched the same skit over and over and over hear the same songs that they probably couldn't understand over and over and over there were a few people that missed trains and they had to stay with a friend or a relative who lived in this city instead of going home because they were curious and what they were curious about was a love love that god would reach out to us love that would cause a bunch of college kids from an entitled country, the United States, to fly all the way over and just sing songs and act out skits in a very poor way. And yet, that was love. We all have a taste of love. We have it in mom. We have it in our friends. We have it in, um, hopefully, in church. Um, so we all have a taste. I can't pick one and say, that's the embodiment, which probably is well served because to pick just one undermines all the other mm -hmm. and all of them are the dim reflection as that mirror to use the words of Paul because the best that we know of love in this world is in eternity and now I know only in part but then in eternity I will know in full even as I've been fully known and so I think part of what love does is it takes us beyond just our small understanding here but if we think of that and we let God perfect that vision that's the vision that's cast into eternity if that's the key you use to unlock scripture how do we bring this love that we've talked about into the world how do we shift this culture that we're currently living in because I do believe a lot of it is people believe that they are leading with love and everyone believes that right. but that that's not always the message that people are giving out right so how do we live that life that we've been talking about well like tina turner i think we have to name when something appears to be love but isn't her quote-unquote love was abuse and I don't want to go political too much, but when I listen to the political rhetoric from both sides, mm -hmm. I'm not hearing love. I'm not hearing respect. I'm not hearing compassion. You'll notice I'm not picking a side. No. Because to do so is a failure to love the other side. I think we don't pause long enough to really understand the other person. We don't pause long enough to really understand what is true and what that other person is saying. When we do that and we listen, even if I disagree, that's the groundwork for love. Again, compassion is one of the ways that we can reach out. I can fundamentally disagree with you, but respect you as a human being enough to listen to your valid points. So both of the extremes to me are abusive. 
I'm overstating it, but uh, not by much. Not that much. <laughs> <laughs> and I think at some point, the call to love is a call back to the middle. And in the middle, we meet. And we meet one another and know one another and respect one another. And then suddenly it's not me versus you, which is the antithesis of love. It's how can you and I move forward together? How do you love yourself when you don't want to or you're downtrodden or you're disappointed in something that you've done? Because that is a whole different conversation. Well, thank you for that out of the blue thought, but important. In fact, probably more important than what most people really take time to think about. And again, part of it is what's the key you use to unlock life? If it is the voice of God that speaks and I created you, that's the voice of the scriptures. I created you, why? Out of love. And, and when I created you, I declared you are very good. And we listen to the words of Jesus in point, who reaches into the despair that all of us face at times and calls us out. Why? Because of love. And I think part of the question is what voices are we listening to? The media gives us a voice of measuring up. Well, if you don't have this car, you're not worthy of love. If you don't wear this brand of clothing, you're not worthy of love. If you don't uh, have this diet and have this weight on the scale and this waist size or whatever, you're not worthy of love. But the voice of God is to call in even to the most outcast, downtrodden, quote unquote worthless people and speak love and invitation when we listen to that voice, then we begin to respect ourselves. So love and respect, I think, go together. So great question on that. And we all feel down at times. We all lack love for ourselves at times because we're using someone else's vision of what a good person should be. But when we listen and we hear the voice of God, it's a voice of true love, divine love, a love that overcomes our shortcomings which we all have, and invites us to be the best of who we can be, not because we're afraid of being judged, but because we want to live more fully into the love that God is revealing to us when we allow it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. that makes a okay. lot of sense. Do you have any last thoughts you need to share? Anything that we've missed that you're like, this, this is the thing? I think the only summation is kind of going back to what I said in the beginning is that in each of us, we know each of us in our bones knows what love is. We know what's good. We know what's bad. Some people call it conscience, the Holy Spirit, whatever it is, we know the voice. And when we listen to that voice instead of all the other voices that cloud our heads, then we know what love is and we can share it because that's the same in all of us. Even if I'm Episcopalian and you're Jewish or Muslim or not so sure about faith, because let's be honest, churches have not been good to us over the years. And if you're Republican or Democrat, Libertarian, Independent, doesn't matter because all of us can speak from that place that connects us, which is love. 
awesome. Thank you so much for being with us, Scott. Privileged to be here. Um, if we wanted to see you on a Sunday morning, where where would that be? St. Barnabas Episcopal Church, Warwick, Rhode Island, and all are welcome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology. We would like to thank our sponsor, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island, and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley, as well as our guests today. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.